I'm Susan Caruso, and I'm the founding director of Sunflower Creative Arts. You're listening to the Sunflower Bridge podcast, where we talk about being with children. And my guest today, very special guest, is Laura Pierce McCoy, my dear, dear friend from We Really Had Our Babies Together. I was her La Leche League leader. And uh, so we have spent many years together. And right now, we are recording this from her garden in Delray Beach, Florida. So you can hear um, water trickling down a, a fountain, a little waterfall. There's a koi pond. And you might hear some birds and things like that. Um, so we invite you, Laura, and I invite you to take breath and smile with us as we talk about reading to children. I'm so glad that you're here. I wanted to do this since the time we first talked about having a podcast, because I thought it would be incredibly fun to sit and talk with you about how we used to read to our kids and what we read to them and how we did it and just share those memories. So welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. So we read a lot. Um, Books were, you know, in my house right now, even the the things that I have, I have more books than clothes and shoes or any other item. Uh, it's, you know, in my house, it's books and music. And that's the main things that I own. And for you, it's books, but no music. <laughs> in my house, it's books and cookie cutters. <laughs> and cookbooks. And cookbooks. That's true. And cookbooks. Describe your, your library wall. Oh, I have a, a wall in my study that sometimes we call the study the library. That one whole wall is filled with bookshelves that my husband built with a ladder so I can reach the highest bookshelves. There are approximately 700 books on those bookshelves, and they are all cookbooked. <laughs> they are divided because people always want to know how they're organized. One wall is just baking. The middle wall is fish and soup and odds and ends. And the wall all the way to the left, when you're looking at it, all the way to the right, when you're looking at it, is is ethnically divided. So there's a shelf of Italian cookbooks and a shelf of Middle Eastern and a shelf of French and so on, covering pretty much all of the cultures uh, that have cookbooks. And they, it's a collection that... Well, I started probably in 1970. Mm, so it's been a long time. Lots of them are secondhand finds. Some of them are new. Some of them are gifts, although people are afraid to give me a cookbook. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I might already have had it. <laughs> but when our children were young, which is the with the 80s, all of our kids right. were born in the 80s. Angelo is, Angelo is the oldest one. Yeah. He was born in October of 81. And then Mead came two years later, and then Stephen two years after that, and then Dylan. Yeah. And Stephen and Angelo belong to Susan, and they're both boys, and Mead and Dylan belong to myself, and they're both girls. We pretty much raised them together, along with a, a, a small group of friends. Uh, and I... I don't know how it started, but we just started reading very early. Yeah, they were they were tiny. I think we valued books 
a lot. And along with the cookbooks, we just were always reading. And of course, being new mothers, we read everything we could get our hands on about parenting, about breastfeeding, about um, every aspect of of parenthood and, and, and childhood and pregnancy and nutrition and all of that. And two, the other thing that we have in common is we are both teachers, you know, in in a big in a big way. So we had that mindset. And our group of friends, I think we were the ones that were the most interested in in books and um we would share them with everybody and um and we, well it was a real collective. We we shared books back and forth, but we talked a lot about it and talked about reading to our children. And I've, I've thought about it. Uh, some of my favorite, favorite memories about my mother go all the way back to when I was about three years old. And she always went to the effort every week to take us to the library to listen to story time. And my mother was not a reader. It's interesting. She, she hardly read anything. And when she read, she read nonfiction. But she knew it was valuable. So she always took us. The other thing that she did was, which I still consider just a wonderful, wonderful gift, is we. I was raised in New York City, and when we moved out of New York City to Long Island, the library was less accessible. She couldn't. She never drove, and she couldn't walk there the way that you could when we lived in the Bronx. So she found a book club. Uh, and they mailed me books. Oh wow! Every month for her. So you got a book every month, and I—it was one of the most exciting things <laughs> in my life. I was about seven years old when it started, and I looked forward every month to what that book was going to be. And two of my favorite books are from that time. One of them is the Pink Motel, and the other is the Phoenix. Ew. The Pink Motel you can still find. And when my kids were about that age, six or seven, I made sure that I got a used copy of the Pink Motel. To who, who is the publisher? Do you remember? No. Because I, I wonder how that was. Um, because these days there are scholastic books. And I think that when, you know, probably during our kids' time too, where... Um, where there was a book club that I had that my kids were that I got for my kids because it was really affordable and they were hardcovered books of currently published books and some old ones like like Goodnight Moon and they, they were old even when our kids were little and um and the Mike Mulligan and this and the steam engine and those all of those things the um I think they're Mary Mary Helen Burton books um and so we had, you know, that's one of the ways that I got books. It was a book club. They came and they were little hard cop, hardbacks, but they were cut, they were cut shorter. Yeah. So they weren't the standard. <laughs> so they were really cut shorter. They were these little stocky books. And I think we have some in the Sunfire, in the Seedlings Library for sure. But um, that's interesting. So you had a book club and and everybody would just walk to the library and if you didn't, if you didn't live close by, I mean, this was a way to have a book, right? And look at how different things are now. I I, want, I worry that there won't even be libraries now. You know, when I 
when I was visiting New York just recently, there is the big library with the lions that you walk up. It does not, it doesn't circulate books anymore. It's only other libraries in, in other parts of the city. They do circulate books. Um, and then everything is so much online. It's uh, so digital. Yeah, I think that you can, you can get books through Libby, maybe from, from the New York City Public Library, as well as all the other libraries. But I, I don't think that the, I think there's a very tactile experience about a book, you know, that cannot possibly be achieved of reading them electronically. And I do read electronically. You know, I have a Kindle and I read all of my fiction on that Kindle for myself mm-hmm. because you can change the font size and it's backlit and the whole process of reading is so much easier. And as you get older, that's uh, definitely of the system. But for a child, I don't agree with it because it, you're missing that tactile and that that's, and I just think it's too much of a loss. Yeah. A book is very special. Holding a book is special. Smelling it. Smelling it, you know. True. Sitting on someone's lap yeah. and cuddling up and turning the pages, even even all that turning of pages yeah. and, and watching the words go by and really studying the, the, the pictures, the illustrations, all the different kinds of illustrations. Um, so it is, I think it is definitely a loss. I think that illustrations digitally are flat. We don't have any depth to them at all. Even though a page in a book is also one-dimensional, but the, the art itself is able to, you're better able to understand the depth of that art than you can digitally. Yeah, I totally agree. So we read lots of books, and one of the things that I remember learning from you, um, because I was trying, I had no money, so we were always at the library, but I would buy some books, and I tried to keep from you know, just the best quality books. And we, you know, in the 80s into, you know, into the 90s was a real golden age for children's books, um, for illustrations and for for picture books. Um, it, it, there were more picture books probably than ever before. And the quality was very, very high. Um, and so I just kept them and I got upset if my kids wanted another kind of a book, you know, like they saw, you know, like a Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtle, a comic book or something. And I was like, oh, no, no, we can't have that in the house. No, no. And he said, do you remember? Yes, I do. Okay, then I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you share because then I'd like them to hear your voice. Yeah. (laughs) And I said to, I said, Susan, how will they ever be able to evaluate good literature if they don't also read bad literature? But I said, let they want, and beside that, it's a book. You know, we put so many constraints on on things. It's like one of the worst things that I can hear is if I'm in a bookstore and I overhear parents talking to a child. The child is asking for a book. And I've heard the parents say, no, that's too easy for you. You can read something harder than that. I'm not going to get that for you. Mm. And that, that's a terrible thing to do to a child. It's a book. You know, the child has picked it. It's not a process of just continuously getting better and better at reading. It's the love of the story or the illustration. But for whatever reason, that's the book the child wants. You know, the other thing I've heard, if you can hear some interesting things, and I've heard a parent say, well, are you going to read it? 
when I, I bought you a book before, you didn't even read. Are you going to read it? So now the child's being asked to commit to reading the book. And who knows? He might read, he, she might read three pages and not want to read any more. This has nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's it's kind of a, you know, the, the, so what's the, the reason to go and explore books? You know, in, in our, the way we looked at it was just for the sake of the book. And it wasn't so that you could read or learn to read or read more or anything. It was it was very much about the story. And we talk all the time on this podcast that the idea of things being child led. And so so if you if you're going to a bookstore and you're gonna let the kid choose a choose a book, let them choose a book. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and too I know my from my experience in a in a store or in a library, there's a book that might just call out to you. And that there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it, and you know, just the binding or the pic photo or, or the picture or the cover, some or the color of the book, and to just pull that out, that can be so meaningful. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you buy every book that your kid wants or or anything like that, but let them, let them choose them for sure. Uh, step back and remember what the goal is, and the goal is pretty simple. The goal is developing a love of reading. Because once you develop a love of reading, you'll read anything and you'll do. And then your secondary goal all the time is that they do well in school. They need to be able to read. And in order to to accomplish that goal, they have to really love to read. Right. And that's that's the thing. Being interested in reading. It's one of the things that is not so great about pushing those, the, the, the uh, academics lower and lower, and ex- the expectations of all kindergartners or all five-year-olds or all six-year-olds or all seven-year-olds to be at a certain level, it just doesn't work that way. And and it gives it gives children, you know, with those expectations, I, I'll, I'll never forget my, uh, my grandson, Ethan, was, you know, his mother is an author. They have, you know, as many books in their houses as we did, and they read all the time they read at bath time, they read at night, they read in the morning when they were having breakfast. They just read a lot, a lot, a lot of books and and all different kinds of things. And um, so when Ethan was in kindergarten, he he was so worried um, because he, he and he said to me, oh, Susu, I'm really afraid. I'm, I'm worried that I'm not going to be an excellent reader because of the pressure that he was getting in 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 kindergarten like that, um, and so that's a terrible thing, because yeah, you're you're not going to be able to read if you're under stress and if the expectation is is not developmentally appropriate. Um, are there children that read when they're three? Sure, you know. And are there children that don't read until they're ten or twelve or thirteen? Yeah, and it's and. It depends on development, and uh, it depends on a lot of things. But they sure they sure don't develop a love of reading by being forced to read, or to have the expectations to be beyond um, beyond. And the the goal should be to love to love literature, to love books, to love words, to love language, um, and just to deeply fall in love with it. And so Susan says to love language, and that brings us back to why you read aloud. 
Read aloud for a few different reasons. You read aloud so that the child grows has grows an interest in story, but you also read aloud to feed their language bank because they will be better readers the larger their language bank is. They won't be necessarily early readers, but they'll be better readers because in order to be read, and I taught many, many, many children to read. I was a learning disabilities teacher, so I taught children to read that were having a hard time sometimes learning to read. In order for them to read, they have to have that word in their in their bank of words so that when they encounter it on the page, they're able to decipher it easier because they already know what the word is and what it means. So when you read aloud, you're giving them that wealth of words. And you usually can read, even after the child starts reading, this is another thing I've seen parents do. I've seen parents stop reading aloud once the child can read because they feel, okay, they can read now, and the only way they're going to get better is if they keep reading themselves. But in fact, by you continuing to read, you're not reading the books at the level that that child is reading. You're reading many, many, many levels above because a child's receptive language is so much stronger than what they're able to read at the time. So if you're reading a book that's, you know, three, four, five years above wherever they are in school, again, you're feeding their bank of language words, you know, which helps them when as they progress in the reading process. But one of the most important things that I think about reading is that we all have values. We have values we'd like to pass on to our children. Um, it it's, can be difficult to figure out how to do that in a gentle and kind way. Reading accomplishes that. If you read the book that you believe follow your values, and that doesn't mean that you don't let them read other books, yeah. but it means that you choose books or the book you pick up and read, and as you're reading it, you realize, wow, I really like what this author is saying. Then you can talk about it. Now we're not talking about, you know, a two-year-old, but we are talking about a four-year-old and a five-year-old, six-year-old. You can talk about what the book is talking about, and you don't even have to talk about it. Sometimes it's just a matter of osmosis. You know, the old woman makes friends. And she feeds the cat, and she feeds the dog, and then she feeds, and you can, it's beautiful. The story is beautiful, and that's a value that you're giving that child from that book. You don't even have to talk about it. And there are so many different emotions that come up in books, and it's not, okay, now we're going to read about emotions. Here's, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's it's within the story. Yeah. Uh, so many things, and it's complex things, and they get to, they get to hear, hear that. And um, and not just reading from books, but telling your stories, telling telling your own family stories or making up stories, um, having your own little fantastical things. It's it's all part of early literacy. It's all part of loving language and loving learning, and and thinking about things. Um, my older grandson. When uh, when he was, we would read this story. He wanted to read this one over and over again. And it was 
a story about a, a cat or something that was just being vicious. And so the the word vicious was so uh, so amazing. And of course, when you're reading, it gives you a chance to really play as the adult with voices and, um, you know, coloring things. And so I was reading to him and I, I love to read to children. So, and I said, and the, and the cat was vicious. And, and so he said, oh, I was, I was vicious to my, to my brother. I was vicious, <laughs> you know, because he was going through a point where he didn't like his little brother all that much. He's getting in the way of things. And, and so he was really working out that whole idea. Am I being vicious? What's vicious? Is it okay to be vicious? Is it all right if I feel, you know, all of those things are coming out. And um, so many things and such a relationship that you have with someone when you're reading something together. My children who are now definitely adults, one of them just had a baby and stuff, they still talk about some of the books that we they read, or I read to them as children, picture books we're talking about. They still remember those some of those picture books. And actually that little baby that was born just six months ago, she was named Ramona from <laughs> Ramona Forever by Beverly Cleary because her mother loved Ramona when she was seven years old. That's so beautiful. And then her mother told me, that the reason she named her Ramona was because I loved Ramona. I don't, okay. <laughs> so I guess we both really loved Ramona. <laughs> and there's another book, a children's book, a picture book called The Cherry Migration, which most people have not read. It's some one of those books that never made it to the top list, you know. But it's all about cherries, maraschino cherries, who want to escape the ice cream parlor because they don't want to be in the Sunday. And my 40-year-old still talks about the cherry migration. I reference it, you know. She'll, something will happen, and she'll say, oh, that's like in the cherry migration. <laughs> but I, I want to talk just a second also about audiobooks. Okay. English. Audiobooks also have tremendous value. This is something that has changed a whole lot since, <laughs> since the 80s and the 90s because it was kind of rare for people to use audiobooks. Oh, was it? It was, it was rare. It means just, my older one is very interested in accessibility. And she was just telling me a story about books that are available for people that are blind. And she wanted to have access to those books. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, I was fighting for that when you were, you know, six, seven. Because Mead was a very late reader. She um, has a lot of learning disabilities. And so I wanted audio books for both of them, actually, because although I was reading a lot, audio books gave them even more language. Both of my children were late readers. One of them had a problem. The other one chose not to read. That's a whole other story. But, and they were in a kind of a situation that they were able to do that without it causing any negative feedback. But... There were audiobooks available then, the same thing for for the blind. And I could not get access to those because they were just for the blind. Wow. So there were some audiobooks then, not many. But I think I, I have a memory of something that just infuriated me. 
There were audio books that came with a book in the library, but the audio book only read the first three chapters ah. because the goal was that you moved from the audio tape to the book. Hmm. And I, I was livid because it was like a trick. You know, they couldn't hear the whole book. So I was very careful. As soon as I figured that out, I was very careful not to take those. But now there is a lot of audio. Yeah. Right? So were they were they cassette tapes? Were they? They were cassette tapes. So it's the technology has changed so much. And also remember that, and I don't know how people feel about this today for children's books, but at the time, people felt that it was cheating. <laughs> if a child listened to a book in on or in audio mode rather than reading it it was easy and so it was cheating uh and then it you know wasn't wasn't reading and again if you step back and you say what do you really want to happen here you want the child to love language you want the child to love story and what difference does it make if it's the written word or the audio word mm-hmm. i saw children who would listen to a book on audio and then move to the written and it made it easier for them. Or sometimes if some, it's great when they have the audio and the book match and they can move through the book at the same time. Right. That's something that has been available through school supply kinds of places. They always used to be kind of, you know, in the early days of Sunflower, uh, in the early 90s, the, the quality wasn't so good. But then some places started having really good quality books, the kind of books that we would have would have pictured books that we would have um, bought for our kids. And, you know, the classics, um, the napping house and things like that. You know, if you give a, give a moose a, a muffin, um, give a mouse a cookie. Um, so those kinds of things are, and it comes with, I, I have it for, for Sunflower. We have like a little, um, a CD player and headphones and so the kids can then lots of copies of the book. And they listen. They can listen. They can listen a bunch at a time. Yeah. So a little group can listen and look at the books. And um, so we've done that sometimes. We haven't done that in a, in a while. But um, so there is that. And then there were cassette tapes of really amazing stories. There was uh, a period of time there in the in the late eighties, nineties where um, some ama- there were some really amazing things being recorded um, that are still available. Odds Bodkins is a storyteller. Those recordings are amazing, and they range for ages, you know, younger children through middle school because he t- told fables and told, um, you know, mythology and all kinds of things like that. I think he has a whole Homer, and uh, you know, CD. Um so that's something to do. And then, of course, then that all sort of switched, I don't know when, you know, techno- technologically into to having audio books that were very accessible to anybody and everybody. And um, so that's, uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of where we are now. I think that there was that big change when the Kindle first came out. And then you could see how quickly, I mean, I know I was afraid and, the fear came to, you know, came to fruition in that, you know, I thought the bookstores are going to disappear and the bookstores have disappeared. We had a, a climbing back. I think they are, but look at how long this is. I'm, I'm really glad. I think you're right. I think yeah. that they're coming back. 
I think there are more independent bookstores now than there probably were 10 years ago. Um, but such is such a shift. And I just wonder what happened during those years. Um, we also read um, Jim Trelease's book all about, you know, the read aloud handbook. And those books are still available now. We still have them at Sunflower. And then there are a whole slew of read out loud people and, and children's um, book. There's probably podcasts, there's probably everything now. Um, so it's interesting. I, you know. Yeah, when, when a child is first learning to read, it's interesting to read a book back and forth. I read a paragraph, you read a paragraph. I read another paragraph, you read another paragraph. Another thing that they say when a child learning to read, let the child read the paragraph silently first before you ask the child to read out loud. Because that can help. Igloo. But I, I can't even imagine raising children without many, many, many books. <laughs> yeah, we really did have them every... It's kind of like at Sunflower. Books are absolutely everywhere. You can take a book outside... There are baskets of books outside, inside, cozy places, not so cozy places. Um, so there's there's a lot. And teachers read to the children, the parents do, and they're on site as helpers. Uh, and children the thing about libraries and secondhand bookstores is there are so many good books that are old, easy, you know, and and that's what allows you access to those. And there's some marvelous, marvelous books that are really old and a little harder to get, but the libraries are there and the secondhand. I don't think I ever went anywhere where I didn't go into the secondhand bookstore to look to see what they had in the children's. Yeah. And you know what's changed a lot from when, when our kids were little is there were a few board books. You know, they yeah. they made a few board books. I remember Helen Oxenberry. Ox, Oxenberry? Yeah. Um her books are door the illustrations are amazing but they were board books and there are just a few and uh now there's sort of an explosion of board books but there are board books with much older topics you know much older subjects um books that really aren't for babies or for young children that are made into board books which i don't quite understand seem relevant it does it doesn't i think that's that's designed to catch the parent's eye rather than the child's eye. I think, I think so. I think it's a sales kind of a thing that, that um, publishers started making the books that were the, the, you know, the, the parents of today's kids' favorites when they were little um, to, uh, you know, they make them into board books so they can have them for their, for their babies and have little kids. But that doesn't make any sense. No. And, I, and there's a loss on a board book. When you go from a picture book to a board book, the artwork suffers. The words are the same, but the artwork suffers. Mm-hmm. So for me, a board book is only relevant to a very young child. Yeah, yeah. No, the, a child that's going to want to chew that book. Exactly. That's, that was our criteria, yeah. you know? <laughs> if, if we're going to buy a board book, it's going to be because the, the baby has it in his mouth. Yeah. And, and chew, the thing is, I, you know, my kids, I'm sure at one point they ripped books and everything, but there was, an, an, they honored books and they respected books. And the whole idea of turning the pages, um, you know, it's, it's an important thing. I, I, and I still, I don't read very much on Kindle. And I know many people just 
do audiobooks all the time. And I find that I don't concentrate on it. I start wandering. My mind wanders away. It's like, oh, no, I went. And when I had my, my, when I was recovering from my broken leg, somebody gave me a book that had like a ribbon um, bookmark. Like the ribbon was in there and like it in the book, like a very fancy thing. And the, the cover was amazing. And the pages, there are some books that are published that have kind of a little bit of a ragged edge. I just love those. I love that. So it was, and I, I hated when I was done with that book. I just wanted to just read it over and over and over again. So, and I think that there's some people that are kind of book crazy. And I think that's why books are coming back too. Why, why um, independent bookstores are coming back. Um, it's such a wonderful thing. It's such a wonderful addition to anyone's life. So you do, you want people to read all kinds of books, um, to have a novel or two going at once. Um, what are you, what are you reading now? Are you reading anything in particular now? No, I'm sort of between the books right now. Now I'm just playing around, reading a few pages of each one to find where I'm going to go next. Uh huh. I'm reading, I'm reading Michelle Obama's, um, the light, the light we share. Her latest one It's very good. Yeah, I think it's. I can't, can't, I can't never remember what the title is, but it's very good. And uh, so I usually have a nonfiction and a fiction going. It's important, you know, reading for everyone. And just also, I think it's hard for kids to see you reading with an audio book, you know, or on your phone. They can see if you're if you're reading on a Kindle. They're just going to model that, you know. So newspapers are important to have, you know, a newspaper or a magazine around because they're seeing you read, you know. I grew up in a house newspaper, and I was just talking about the other day with someone, many magazines. Magazines are not around anymore in the same way they was then, but the house was always filled with magazines. Uh-huh. And of course, uh, you read the back of the cereal box too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything. I don't think, I think having those things around are good. I don't think it's necessary that the child see you reading per se. If the material is there and you are reading aloud to that child a lot, I think that's enough. Uh-huh. You don't necessarily have to be caught in the act of reading to yourself by the child. Right. Yeah. To mop. Yeah. And hmm. yeah, so so many so many good things about the relationship of sitting with your child and reading at all ages. I remember once, and and I did that. We read together for until they were out of the house, actually. Well, yeah, I was going to say Jim Trulise talks about that very well. Uh, you know, even reading to teenagers, you know, because what you're doing is sharing. You're sharing thoughts and ideas. Yeah, I remember camping, um, and we were all we were in the tent, and we were reading Romeo and Juliet. And um, and kind of you know passing the parts back and forth, and I'll never forget that. So that was house is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, those were good times, yeah. and um, 
it's something that, that we could talk much more about, the whole idea of, of reading and teaching reading, and um, and especially if it doesn't come so easily, and the worry that parents have about that when, uh, and it's it's much more difficult now because the expectation is that they're they're going to be reading when they're in kindergarten. Yeah, and it makes it, it makes it a whole lot. Because, yeah, we have changes of put now too in in ways of teaching reading. We're swinging back to a more phonics approach, mm-hmm. which is you know there's nothing wrong with that. You you can't have all one or all the other. You need the word. Yeah, and we're such in such individuals that let the school do the phonics. We do it and let the home do the story. Yeah, and every every person is going to learn differently in a different way. So it's not going to be one size fits all. Um, but to keep the joy in it, because that's what that's what literature is to to have key to have the joy and to have that poetic sense. You know, you you can't be poetic if you haven't read poetry, or or you know, or yeah. felt it. And I think that that's the thing. I want to just say one other thing. The um, rhymes, too. Saying rhymes and nursery rhymes. Oh, yes. And I kind of feel like that's something that's gone by the wayside. I I don't think that we're even doing it at, at Sunflower so much. We make up our own, in, we make up our own songs a lot of times, and there, there is that, that rhyming going on. But I would be curious that could be a whole other other topic. Nursery rhymes, yeah. Nursery rhymes are like the bedrock of learning to read. Yeah, and music too, and and that 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 whole that kind of cadence and the the just the the rhythm, literally the rhythm of things is has a lot to do with um, you know that, music and reading that, and yeah. writing. That's that's part of the read aloud, the cadence. Yeah, understanding. The difference between spoken language and written language. You, you, child learns to understand that from you reading aloud. Now they know what the sound of written language is like, which differs from your daily interactions. We could talk about this for a long time. So <laughs> we'll have to meet another. Yes, time. yes, yes. Maybe we'll have to have tea and uh, cookies in the garden once again and speak more about this reading that we've been doing with our children and throughout our whole lives. Thank you so much for being here, Laura. It's been I a, had a great time. I'm so glad. It was it was really fun for me. Okay. Until next time. Okay. This has been the Sunflower Bridge Podcast. Thank you for listening. And we were we recorded in Laura's garden and uh, in Delray Beach, Florida.